Hello and welcome to Look for the Helpers, an ICT SOS podcast. My name is Amber Gonzalez, the Education Coordinator for ICT SOS. When our favorite neighbor Fred Rogers was a boy and would see scary things in the news, his mother would say to him, look for the helpers. You will always see people helping. Today, the helper we are looking to is Wichita Police Department Chief of Police Gordon Ramsey. Chief Ramsey was appointed as the Wichita Police Chief in January 2016. Since arriving in Wichita, he has focused on pushing officers closer to the communities they serve, building relationships, increasing the use of technology, and reducing crime. He has successfully worked with our community to create the Wichita Civilian Review Board and focuses on de-escalation, communication, and tactics to lower use of force incidents. You can find more of Chief Ramsey's background, as well as links to recent interviews in today's show notes found on our website at www.ictsos.org forward slash blog. Thanks for being on the show today, Chief Ramsey. Thanks for having me. Happy to have you. Um, We can see each other on Zoom. I am sitting here with Jennifer White, our Executive Director, and um, Chief Ramsey over Zoom audio. Um, But we are here together. So that is who is here. And first of all, every guest that we have on our podcast, I first just ask, how are you today? I'm good today. You're good today. I'm up on the 4th of July weekend. Hopefully it'll be quiet. It's like it's going to be hot and summery out. So uh-huh. my neighborhood's already starting to explode. So we're we're definitely coming up on the fourth for sure. Complaints <laughs> have started to come in. Yeah. Well, my it's funny because the thing that I'm seeing most of right now with with that with the fireworks and stuff is people's dogs, and I have a fat old lazy black lab who I think is probably half deaf, and I don't think he even realizes that anything's going on. So we don't we don't have that issue at my house. <laughs> Good. Well, I am mostly going to hand this conversation over to you and Jennifer today. Um, I kind of had put together um, some show notes and some links. So for our listeners today, if there's any more to this conversation or more that you'd like to hear from Chief Ramsey, I'm going to have a lot of things linked in our show notes on our website. Um, One of the first things that I think we just wanted to talk about was a little bit of history with ICTSOS and um, just kind of with law enforcement in general. So um, I'll pass that over to you, Jen. Yeah, so I I don't know how much um, our listeners know about kind of what our history is and and how we work together with law enforcement. We are housed in um, the Child Advocacy Center here in Sedgwick County. And so we're um, in the same building as our Exploited and Missing Child Unit, um, which investigates all of our um, crimes against children. So that's trafficking, physical abuse, sexual abuse, neglect, um, you know, anything really that has to do with a kiddo. Um, And then our Internet Crimes Unit, which we have talked a lot about lately on some of our different podcasts and on our Facebook page, um, just the effect that our kids being home and being online more, um, being unsupervised online a lot more lately since the school shut down and kind of how that feeds into the trafficking issue and the exploitation issue. Um, so we work kind of hand in hand with both of those units, but then outside of that, um, we also get to partner with um, our vice unit. Um, we do some work with the FBI. Um, we've done some work with the homeless outreach team um, because a lot of this kind of overlaps when you're talking about trafficking. And so that's kind of 
um, where we fit into that. Now, that being said, we're not, um, you know, actively part of investigations or things like that. But when our law enforcement is recovering victims from different situations, that's really where we kind of come in when somebody needs a resource, um, you know, if that's help figuring out housing or even something as simple as a fresh start bag, right? So we make sure that those are available. Um, and then we've also helped support some some different training and things. Um, back in October, we took a whole team, um, including our trafficking detective, um, to a conference in Cincinnati to kind of learn from other agencies around um, the country. And that was one of the things that we helped um, provide the funding for. So that's kind of where we fit into that, um, really in kind of a support role um, as far as training and things like that, but then also um, providing resources for victims um, that are coming in contact with law enforcement. So that's kind of our, our backstory and our, our history um, with Wichita Police here as, as ICTSOS. Um, obviously, Chief Ramsey came on board in 2016 and, and has been a great supporter of us as well. And so we, we really appreciate that. Um, talking about, and I think I'm going to kind of skip a little bit where I was out in my notes, but talking about some of those programs, um, I think one of the things that's come up in conversation a lot lately is the need to do things differently, um, the need to um, kind of progress how um, policing is interacting with the community. And one of the things that I kind of wanted to touch on today was some of the things that um, Wichita is doing, because I think there's some really unique programs um, that we have here in Wichita that maybe people aren't aware of. Um, so can you speak to that just a little bit? Oh, there's a significant number of, of programs and things that we do that people have no idea. What, what has uh, surprised me more than anything else is that, you know, I spent a, and our officers spend a significant amount of time in our community working with uh, residents to, you know, improve neighborhoods and deal with problems. And oftentimes we see the same people over and over again at our different meetings. What surprised me the most is the amount of people that don't know all we're doing. So I appreciate the opportunity. But we have, uh, you know, this department has a long history of community policing. That is where officers work hand in hand with neighbors to improve uh, neighborhoods and communities, lower crime, build relationships. The biggest thing that I'm seeing right now is it seems that everything's been put on the police, that it's our responsibility for, you know, I mean, you name it, but it takes two to have relationships. And, you know, while we've been working on a lot of, uh, you know, whether it be trying to get social workers uh, with the cops through ICT-1, embedding social workers, um, the HOT team, the homeless outreach team, we have been doing a significant amount of work with our community, but what I've seen in the last month is that a lot of people are like, well, what are you guys doing? So we have to go back to almost first base and, and bring everybody up to speed because we do a lot. I Probably one of the more higher profile uh, groups that we have uh, efforts is the homeless outreach team. And we do have a group of officers, of four officers that focus on uh, stabilizing homeless individuals who are often uh, suffering from mental health or chemical addictions or com uh, combination of, of both. And this program is one of the most successful ones in the United States as far as stabilizing individuals and getting them into housing. Uh, that is a community policing program. 
When we've had the opportunity to work alongside the homeless outreach team um, several times, the most recent um, was with a lady. And of course, this was all right before the COVID stuff shut everything down. But um, we helped with some fundraising efforts. Um, They were working with a lady who is um, essentially blind, who is living on the streets, who... um, you know, through conversation and, and relationship with her, realized that her her blindness is re- reversible um, if we could get the right things in place to um, have cataract surgery for her. So it's it's so much more, I think, than people realize um, as far as just you know we're going to move this this homeless person from point A to point B. Um, you know, they have been wrapped around her for months now, continuing to check on her, um, in contact with the doctors, making sure that those things are going forward. I think her surgery is coming up here in the next couple of weeks. So now that everything's opening back up again, um, I've also gotten to work with them, um, helping to move a family, um, out of one of the the hotels on North Broadway, a family of seven that was living in a hotel room for, I believe, two years mm-hmm. um, into their first apartment. And, you know, we got to help with that. So um, for us, the connection with that is, you know, especially for women on the streets, there's a very high risk of exploitation and trafficking. Um, and then when you've got families that are trying to navigate homelessness, um, we get to work with some great programs like Family Promise and things like that. But a lot of times that first point of contact for some of those um, people is the homeless outreach team. And, and then they're able to, to help them connect to those other resources. Yeah, the family you mentioned, uh, the family of seven that lived in that hotel, um, you know, uh, I got to know one of their kids and uh, prior to that, and I think that's how we got the ball rolling. He comes to Boys and Girls Club and he was, uh, he's a very talented, charismatic, smart young man. And their kids are really cool. I got to meet yeah. their kids. That's a neat family. It is very neat. But you talk about stacking the odds against them, right? Living in that hotel for two years, uh, tight quarters. Um, you know, there's a lot of predators around uh, that location. And I, I just thought it was so great what you did for that family. We wouldn't have been able to do it without you guys. And uh, well, yeah. we, so I'll tell you how that went down. Officer Williams called me and said, hey, Jed, do you have any resource for um, something that would help with funds for a down payment. And I think it was like $385 or something. So what, what people may not realize with, you know, especially families and things that get stuck in those situations is it's like every time they scrape a little bit together, something happens and then they've got to spend that money to survive. And so they that next hump to, to pay, you know, first month deposit or whatever. And so anyways, they'd been working with, with the hot team guys and, and Williams called me and, I said, you didn't call me to ask if I had a resource. I said, why don't you just call me and say, Jen, I need $385. <laughs> and so we we put it out on Facebook um, and the community really rallied around that family. So yes, we were we were the point of connection, but so many people came together to to make that happen for that family. Yeah, that's a great story. Yeah, and I hope hopefully yeah. they're still doing well. It was it was a fun um, story for me because I got to go help pick out bunk beds and you yeah. know bedding and things like that. And I think one of the neatest moments I was there when um, mom came home to the apartment for the first time with the kids after we'd gotten the furniture set up, and um, the little girl, the youngest, um, had never had a bed of her own. 
And so to watch her walk into her bedroom and see not only a bed, we got her a bunk bed. <laughs> so she had two beds. Um, it was a really neat moment. But for me, um, and you know, for us as an organization, um, that point of contact with, with the homeless outreach team put us in a position to be able to do what we could do to help keep those kids safe because they were, they were living in a very tough environment. Um, and especially for the, you know, the youngest, I want to say she was eight or nine at the time. The idea of, you know, one of my kids living someplace that, you know, is not safe 24 seven, like that, that just breaks my heart. So, but that, that initial point of contact came through, through the hot team folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's it's uh, those guys and gals do great work as well. Yeah, so and we're passionate about the role. We're do. hoping to see see another good news story with our our gal that's getting surgery soon too. So yeah, yeah. So then with the homeless outreach team, then they also work with housing. Um, are there other programs through the police department that are? that are partnering with, with the housing resources or is, is that primarily through the hot team? Um, primarily through the hot team. We're doing uh, some of our mental health work uh, because so much of what we deal with now has a mental health component. We have uh, housing has received some grants for uh, people that are suffering from mental health. So we've been, we are a feeder for that program. Um, ICT one, which is our, pilot program that began last summer, which is a police officer, a social worker, and a paramedic that respond to mental health related calls. Right now it's only on a 30 to 40 hour a week basis, but they have done a significant a job at reducing the amount of emergency room visits, uh, police, repeat police calls. Um, they have time and mental health calls take longer on average than, than your typical police call. So, the fact that they have time to do the work and can have a direct connect to resources, it has been a godsend. I hear officers frequently asking for ICT-1 if they're working. So we want to see that program expand because really that is uh, a big part of what we're dealing with. So their success is speaking for itself. It's just the funding issue that we struggle with. What is the scope of that program right now? How, how many, you said it's about 30 to 40 hours a, a week. How many, yeah. is it just one team or are there multiple teams? It is just one team right now. It started out with multiple that worked uh, so many hours on, but now we have designated people and we find that uh, they, they learn the levers to pull and the buttons to push to get people to help. Cause that's part of it. I mean, this is a big complicated system um, right. and they learn who to call, where to bring someone, how to get them help. And uh, that itself is uh, almost its own area of expertise. Right. And we see that with the trafficking issue as well. Um, there's there's so many pieces and parts to that puzzle um, that having, you know, a dedicated, um, you know, advocate or, you know, somebody that knows how to navigate all of those systems that has relationships with people yeah. in those systems um, makes such a big difference. Um, because I know, you know, I've got my people on speed dial that if, if somebody calls me and says, Hey, you know, we've got this person that needs to be, um, someplace safe tonight. Um, you know, we, we have, it's not a perfect system, but it's, but it's relational, right? So we, we Mm -hmm. know who to call and who to talk to, um, to get somebody that helps. So I could see where, you know, on the, the mental health side of things, 
um, it would be very similar. And again, those issues overlap quite a bit as well. So there's a couple of things that have, have come on board just really recently, and we'll, I'll kind of hit them kind of, I guess, in the order that I learned about them. But the first one um, is the Youth Intervention Division. Um, that's something new for our community. Is that something that is being done in other cities? Is that pretty much brand new? What does that look like? Yeah, well, you know, uh, youth crime is different than adult crime, right? We want to keep kids out of the system. Study after study shows, you know, bringing kids into the criminal justice system is often counterproductive what we're trying to accomplish. So this, this uh, group of officers that we're putting together, this unit is focused on coaching, guiding, mentoring, and intervening in kids' lives to help get them back on track. And Officer Watson uh, kind of put the framework of this program together. Many departments have what the juvenile divisions that focus on kid crimes because uh, you know the charging is different, the type of crimes are often different. Uh, juveniles are often disproportionately victims and suspects. So it takes a special lens and uh, care for, for really helping these kids and getting them back on track. That is the, that is the goal of this unit is to, is to help kids not hinder them. Right. And I, so I've, I was telling you before we started recording, I've known Officer Watson for a long time. Our kids played basketball together and things, and he's, he's got a great rapport with kids. Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see how that, that program comes together. Um, he's kind of a big goofball. He he's got a magnetic personality. The I, first time I, I met him, it was at the Y, and he told me my, my gym shorts were too short. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, so funny story. We have a, a newly um, promoted detective that's taking on um, some of our trafficking cases um, over here. Uh, she just moved over. And the first time I met her, she beat me up in a boxing ring. So, oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I will say for full disclosure, I put myself in the ring and she didn't know I wasn't a cop. <laughs> so but I like to give her a hard time about it now. Um, so is that program operational now? Is it kind of in the planning stages? Where, where yeah, are we at with that? It's in its infancy. Um, part of it is, uh, you know, we are a lean organization. That's, you know, when people talk about, you know, taking money away from the police department, we have, uh, we have about 200 less officers in our comparable departments, which is Tulsa and Omaha. Um, since I've been here, you know, we have had cuts with, you know, we've lost our helicopter, we've lost, you know, other things that we uh, used to do that we no longer do because of cuts. Now we have had a little increase in staffing, so that's, that's good for us. Um, but we don't have a lot of people to pull from to, uh, you know, to create this juvenile intervention unit. And um, that's one reason why I think Wichita's never had a juvenile unit was because we never had the people. We recognize, though, we've got to change our way of addressing juvenile crime, victims, and suspects, and change the lens to a, a supportive um, role. And that's what that unit is planning on doing. It is not uh, funded. It is uh, using existing staffing uh, right now. And ho hopefully the results will speak for themselves after we get this thing up and running. But, you know, when I came here, one of the complaints I heard was uh, from parents and family members of, of gang members that had been identified and put on the gang list. 
And when in the past, when someone was put on the gang list, there was no communication with families. There was no intervention attempt. And this was a community-driven effort to change our practice. And we recognized that we had to do more for kids. So now we're intervening when we identify a youth uh, and put them on the gang list. If the family is contacted, uh, meetings are set up, intervention is attempted, resources are connected with the family, and we're doing much more than we have been in an effort to help. I think that's been a shift um, in the last probably 15, maybe 20 years with the issue of prostitution as well, right? So, you know, you go back 15, 20 years and the solution to, you know, how do we fix trafficking, which we didn't call trafficking back then, was, you know, we arrest the quote unquote prostitute, right? Put them in jail. Um, And so there's been a shift in law enforcement over the years of recognizing that, you know, primarily our victims here are women, um, that those women are generally have been victimized um, and that there's things that have have forced them into that situation. And really the perpetrator is the buyer um, and the pimp. So there's there's been this shift with that issue um, over the years. And I think this um, you know, hopefully this youth intervention division is, is the start to kind of making that same shift with looking at how we, we view kids that are committing crimes, right? Because, you know, there's, there's probably a backstory with that kid. You know, why are they in this position? Why are they running this with this crowd? Why are they making these choices? Right. Um, and so, you know, I could see that having, having a really great, um, effect on on how we're looking at, at crime with kids too. And again, I think, um, you know, Officer Watson, I think he'll have a great rapport with kids. Um, do you see with with youth crime and with um, particularly the, the gang lists and things, does that tend to be disproportionately minority youth or is it kind of across, across the board? Or do you know? Yeah, gangs uh, in Wichita tend to be a little more uh, of youth color, but um, you know it does vary by neighborhoods and schools, and there's a, there's a lot of intricacies of it. Some neighborhoods, uh, kids have to affiliate just to not get beat up, and that's right. the reality of things. And again, um, it's kind of stepping back and looking at you know wh- why is this kid in this situation right. um, with trafficking? A lot of times, that's a relational thing. You know, it's somebody that's looking to connect, looking to belong doesn't have a great safety net, somebody comes along and says, you know, hey, well, I'll be your family. I'll take care of you, which is the same mentality with gangs. Right. So when you look at the ebb and flow of uh, federal funding or state funding to after school programs uh, throughout my career, I can tell you when programs were funded for youth, particularly after school and on weekends, we saw a significant decrease. I remember um, on my old beat, they had canceled. It was a weed and seed program uh, in the 90s, and they'd canceled the weekend uh, gym program for kids and, and at the community center where they could hang out and do activities. That first Saturday, and I knew all the kids because my office was actually in the community center. Uh, that first Saturday, they cut it. A bunch of the kids were on a roof of an abandoned apartment building, pulling the roof apart and catching it on fire. Oh, and, no. you know, they got in trouble because of it. And, you know, it was a, as a, young cop in my early to mid twenties, I was like, geez, you know, they had, we had a great thing going and because of funding now they're out uh, idle time and they're damaging this apartment building. 
Right. So with, with the youth intervention division, I know that um, there's likely some partnerships in the works with community-based organizations. Um, what does that look like? And again, or do you know yet? <laughs> yeah. Well, so Watson has, you know, this has been an area he really wants to focus on. And he wants to connect businesses with youth and involve the community in taking a more of an active role, the business community and, and concerned residents. Because, you know, community policing and solving these problems can be all the police. That the community does have to take a role in uh, helping our youth that are troubled and that are less fortunate. And that's what kind of the umbrella of the program, how he's operating. So our... Um, our podcast episode last week, we spoke with um, Katrina Breeden, who's a licensed marriage and family um, therapist. And she said something that stuck out to me. And, and I love this. She said um, she was listening to another um, therapist that used the term or used the, the concept that we don't have at-risk kids. We have kids that are in at-risk environments. Mm -hmm. And so then how do we change those environments? Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that I love about Wichita is that we do have some really amazing programs that are addressing the environments that our kids are in. Um, we work a lot with Rise Up for Youth, um, the Boys and Girls Club, um, you know, Real Men, Real Heroes is in the schools. There's We just have some really great things that are looking at um, the environments that these kids are are in and how to um, create different environments or provide alternative environments um, and and help kids re reach the potential that they always had right um, so that's i'm I'm excited to see how how that all plays out so I want to ask about one more program and then I want to kind of you you mentioned you know it can't just be the police it's got to be the community so i want to I want to kind of touch on that but um, something that rolled out today um, is the, and I, I told you, I keep trying to call it the lights out program, which is the opposite, the lights on program. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about how that's going to play out? Yeah, you know, one of the big issues our community faces, people that have received tickets, primarily low income individuals, our tickets are expensive. And, you know, if you are sometimes deciding whether or not to pay the ticket or your rent or for food, and you don't pay that fine, your license is often suspended. And then you have a whole new set of fees, reinstatement fees. Um, a simple ticket, uh, if you don't pay it, can turn into thousands of dollars quickly. And so we are, uh, you know, for the last few years, we've been looking at how we can help our community more versus hindering them. And the Lights On program um, focuses on equipment violations around lighting. That is, if someone's headlight is out or taillight is out, um, this will, we'll give them a voucher in a pilot area, 67214, um, if they're pulled over to get that repaired up to $250. Now, the idea is to help, you know, really lower income people that don't have the, the money to get these items fixed. Uh, I had a headlight out on my car and I spent hours trying to fix it myself. <laughs> I couldn't do it. You know, never mind a single mom with four kids trying to figure it out uh, between taking care of all those kids. So really, um, we're excited for it. We've connected with uh, WSU. Professor Berzer is going to do uh, a, a study on it and determine the effectiveness and look at different angles as far as uh, police relationships. and Have some, you know, it, some it qualitative data yeah, to that too. It may turn out to be a, a great success or it may be a failure, but you don't know 
unless you try it. You right. Know? So, right. Well, my last ticket was for a headlight. <laughs> oh, really? And hopefully you took care of it. It was in Andover, so it wasn't WP. Did, did you fix it yourself? I did. I have a Jeep, so I have to know how to fix things (laughs) because they break a lot. (laughs) Well, so to kind of, um, kind of bring that back then to, to what you were talking about, um, kind of two questions. One, um, how do you think Wichita has handled kind of that community police relationship, um, in comparison to, to other cities? Um, well, you know, I think historically the department's done a good job of doing community policing and it's ebbed and flowed depending on staffing and, you know, different issues. Uh, now with social media, now more than ever, national issues hit people, it hits close to home. And, right. you know, that wasn't that way at the beginning of my career. National issues um, didn't have that impact on people like it does now. So it's a little more complicated, but historically this department's done a pretty good job of outreach. Now, you know, uh, officer-involved shootings are always very controversial, uh, especially certain circumstances with if someone's unarmed or, you know, there's certain variables that really uh, understandably cause friction. So those continue to be a concern of mine. You know, when I first got into policing in the early 90s, I would have thought by today we would have some type of tool that could successfully incapacitate someone without hurting them, right? But really, the technology has not increased, improved to the point where we have something like that. And I, I, I hope for that regularly because, um, it, you know, the fact is, is that we get called to gunshots uh, to go and do something about it and ensure people are safe. And we put our officers in, in tenuous positions where they have to make split second decisions. It's probably the most difficult job in America today. So um, those flashpoints often, you know, police uh, use of force when it's uh, considered excessive or uh, unreasonable, those are often the flashpoints for all the disparities that exist in our society today. And while, you know, the uh, George Floyd death is a terrible tragedy, there are so many other disparities that, that, you know, fuel that fire, employment disparities, education, um, housing, medical. I mean, there's a list of about 15 that, that, that really feed into our poverty issues and the inequities that we face in our world today. And I think the, the fact that we do have so much more access to, um, a national conversation, right. Um, you know, there's good and bad to that because there, there is, um, I don't want to say that there's things that don't apply, but there are things that apply differently, um, different places around the country, but there's also, um, you know, the, the positive benefit of, you know, being made aware of, of issues that, you know, maybe you can head off before they become bigger issues. So it's, it's a, it's a balance, right. Of, of being able to have that access. Um, I will say that I, one of the things that I've always appreciated about you is, is the fact that you have been, um, as transparent as you possibly can be, um, and always very humble in your leadership. And, and I think that trickles down, um, you know, to, to the people that work for you as well. Um, well, yeah, when I have Donnell Watson telling me my shorts are too short, <laughs> I need to write out of me. Uh, I think I'm officer. tells me I, my shorts are too short. <laughs> I mean, somebody's got to keep you, keep you, 
your feet on the ground. <laughs> Who better than than Watson? I love it. So I guess to kind of wrap up, and I know, I know we've taken a lot of your time, and I I appreciate that. Um, you know, one of the things that you mentioned was that you know the the community police relationship cannot just be um, driven by the police. There's a lot of conversation right now about, um, you know, how do we improve? And I think a lot of that conversation has been directed toward how do police improve? But this is a two-way street. So I'm interested to know what are your thoughts on kind of, you know, we've got some of these great programs. We've got some good things going on. How as a community do we come alongside and support um, the good things that are going on um, in our community and, and with our law enforcement? Well, when you look at um, issues like mental health, right, the state used to be a huge mental health provider for uh, people suffering. And now they are not at the table. They, de- they, you know, they defunded it in the early 90s, and the goal was to send it back to more of a community-based mental health program, but then they never funded it. So now who does that fall on? falls on our police. Right. The only government entity you can call to get to respond to your house with a three-digit number 24-7. So the over-reliance on police to deal with mental health issues and all the associated problems is significant. So we need to look at funding um, services that we used to provide. And, and I don't think it should come at the expense of the police. Now, maybe someday we can get to the point where we uh, don't have the the call load and the issues that we're dealing with where maybe we can look at, you know, maybe we wouldn't need as many, but it's also a chicken that chicken and egg situation. Yeah. But also <laughs> community policing, the model for community policing is more officers with time to interact with people when there's not a crisis. And, um, you know, we don't always have that right now because of the call load. So we need to fund some of these other programs. So, I mean, I agree with the concept of, you know, behind that, when, when people say defund the police, they're saying we need it needs to go to youth activities. This I agree with all that stuff, um, but the the funding can't come from the police. I think that would be a grave mistake. So if uh, if somebody were to come to you and say, you know, we're going to take this hundred million dollars and invest it in Wichita, um, it can't go to the police, but it needs to go to things that that would improve our community. Where where would you spend that hundred million dollars? I think supportive housing. Um, after school programs for kids, for youth, um, treatment programs. You know, right now, if a, if a meth addict came to us today and said, Gordon, I have a meth problem, I'm doing burglaries to support my habit, I'd go to treatment right now, could you help me? It would take us at least six months to get him into treatment. Um, and that's a problem, right? We don't have the uh, infrastructure within our courts to help with treatment like we should because so much of our crime is driven by drugs. Mm-hmm. There should be more, you know, many people are getting uh, felony convictions. Uh, and if they weren't addicted to drugs or alcohol, they wouldn't be having these problems. And we just do not have uh, the resources in place to help people that are addicted. And that right. needs to change. And that bleeds over into so many, I mean, it, it, it affects the trafficking issue. It affects domestic violence. You know, it, it affects child abuse issues. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Sure. Well, I don't have all the answers. I don't know how to fix it all, but yeah. I think that, um, you know, one of the things that I am really proud 
of Wichita is that, you know, one, we've got people in leadership that are willing to have hard conversations. Um, and I think that's kind of where this starts. And, you know, I know that you've, um, created some things to um, create some additional accountability and have extra eyes on on what the police department is doing and, and have some feedback on how to improve things. And, um, you know, I was telling somebody the other day, if, if you don't want to change and get better, you don't invite criticism. Right. And I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, I, again, I, I just appreciate about the way you've taken on this role is, um, you know, you have invited that criticism in maybe when you didn't necessarily have to, and right. I'm sure it's not always easy to hear what people have to say, but, but that's how we get better. Right. For sure. And that's, you know, it's kind of what chief signs up for. You are in this role. I expect to hear from people on what we could do better. So and, thick skin uh, and short shorts. Thick skin. <laughs> <laughs> that's the title of this episode now. <laughs> Amber just renamed our, our podcast. <laughs> and Chief Ramsey will never speak to us again. <laughs> yeah. You give you give Watson a hard time next time. I will. I, I it will be my pleasure. <laughs> On a last note, I'd like to just say for our listeners, um, if anyone has a hundred million dollars, right? <laughs> you can contact us. We can we can help figure out where to direct that. We can direct that sure. for you. Well, hey, thank you for coming on to our podcast today. Thank you, Jen, for kind yeah. of facilitating this conversation. We'll go ahead and let you go now. So you have a good Independence Day weekend. Hopefully everybody stays safe here in the Wichita area and surrounding areas. Keeps all their fingers. Nothing crazy happens. <laughs> yeah, everybody keeps their, their fingers. Yeah. Well, thank you again for your Thanks, time. Guys. Take Appreciate care. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. It's obvious there is a lot of work to be done in our community. If you would like to find out how you can help, please visit us at www.ictsos.org forward slash blog, where you can find today's show notes with all of the links and programs that we talked about today. If you would like to become a monthly sponsor of Look for the Helpers, please visit that website. You can also follow us on social media at ICTSOS, or you can download our mobile app. Thank you for listening. Wash your hands and stay safe. Thank you.